Hello, everyone, and welcome back to another episode. I'm so glad you came back this week. I'm really glad you're here. And wherever you're listening, I don't know if you're out and about yet. Uh, I know things are starting to open up due to COVID. But if you're out and about, I don't know if you're in your car or you have your headphones on at home, maybe sitting by the pool. I'm just very glad you're here with me today. I just wanted to start out by saying a great big thank you to someone who left me a podcast review on iTunes, which I so appreciate. I know it takes time and effort to go out of your way to do that. And I'm just so very grateful for everyone that leaves reviews because it does push the podcast up in the ratings and it does help other people um, get exposed to the podcast. So thank you so much for taking the time to do that. The listener said this podcast is fantastic. The positive mindset is amazing and so helpful. You won't regret subscribing to this masterpiece. So thank you so much to Starstruck Time Traveler. I'm super grateful that you are enjoying the episodes, and I'm especially grateful that you have subscribed and you're here each week. So thank you so much. I really appreciate it. So this episode, I feel, is really important to bring to you right now because many of the people that I'm speaking to in my coaching practice are in some form of transition. So they've either done a powerful pause during COVID and they're realizing that they really don't want to go back to quote unquote normal because normal was burning them out and they were exhausted and they were on the freeway for two hours a day commuting to a job that maybe they didn't really like. And now over COVID, they've had the opportunity to spend more time with their families, maybe take up some hobbies, maybe reevaluate what they really want going forward. While this year has not been easy at all for so many reasons, I really do believe that COVID has offered many of us the opportunity to really do this powerful pause and reflection and then this reimagining of what we want for ourselves in the future. Unfortunately for some of my clients and the people I've been speaking to lately, that hasn't been by choice. So many people have been laid off recently and they are coming because they are looking. Most people are actually looking to transition into a completely different career than they had before. So I think where maybe in the past they would have, you know, maybe gotten laid off and just looked into the same career, the same industry. A lot of people are really using this as a really wonderful opportunity to reevaluate what they really want. Um, I think, from a much bigger perspective. So I'm very excited about the possibilities of that for people in my practice. And one of the things also that precipitated this episode was we are in the middle, actually, week three of our Women Leading Powerfully group coaching program. And when we did the kickoff calls for the program, what we realized, you know, we have women in there that are small business owners. We have women from corporate. We have a stay-at-home mom. I mean, there's a variety of different women from different backgrounds in this program. But for the women that are in companies, we heard a lot about them not making their work visible, just kind of putting their heads down, doing the work, hoping that their bosses would notice all of their contributions and getting ahead. And it really made me think about the importance of personal branding in our careers 
and how important it is for us as individuals to really own that for ourselves. So the culmination of all of these things coming together, people getting laid off, reassessing what they want in their careers, or being in organizations wanting to elevate, but also not necessarily making themselves visible or really owning that for themselves, really culminated into me realizing I had to have Juan on our podcast today. So I'm excited to have Juan Rivas on the podcast. Juan is my chief learning officer for core creation coaching and consulting. I'm super lucky to have him on staff, and he is a great power partner of mine. Juan has an extensive background in HR. He's also a long-term military veteran, and I completely appreciate his service to our country. And he has worked for Fox. He's worked for Disney in learning and development. And he is going to speak to us today about really owning your career through building your personal brand at work. One of the things Juan highlights in the podcast today is he says, nobody cares more about your career than you, which is so powerful and so true. And, you know, I love his two tips and tricks, really, that he shares at the end of the podcast. And I'm just going to share them with you here, because I really want you to listen to the podcast from this mindset. He talks about the fact that if you want something, you are the only one that has the power to make things happen. And secondly, he says, get started, just get started, do anything, take any kind of action And then give yourself some time to enable it to grow and to flourish and to bring it to fruition. So in other words, be compassionate with yourself. If you do decide to make some kind of move, you know, it may take a little while for you to build whatever it is you're building, whether you're building a new career, whether you're building a new company, you know, so often in social media and in the media in general, we see the highlight reel right? And just give yourself compassion when you're taking a new path and just know that it doesn't always happen overnight. So with all that being said, I'm super excited to introduce you to Juan Rivas talking about owning your career through building your personal brand. So let's dive in. Welcome to the Lead Your Life podcast. I'm your host, Natalie Barron. I'm obsessed with helping people feel more connected to themselves, the people they love, their work, and their purpose. I'm a leadership coach, speaker, self-improvement junkie, wife, mom of two teenagers, and 30-year corporate career woman turned entrepreneur. This podcast will give you the tools, insights, and real honest conversations that will help you lead your life so you can love your life. Let's dive in. All right, I'm here with Juan Rivas. And Juan, I'm so glad you're here today. And me too, what, me too. Yeah, yeah, I'm so happy you're here. What we are going to be talking about today is the importance of personal branding. And what we're going to be talking about is, first of all, what is personal branding? What does that really mean? And the importance of paying attention to it throughout your career. Absolutely. And so before we get started, I would love to have you talk a little bit about your 
um, not only your professional background, but, you know, just your story in general. I think one of the things that has, you know, drawn me to you and makes you such an interesting person is your personal story and kind of where you've come from, your background, and now where you are. So if you could share that with the listeners, I would appreciate it. Of course. Um, I spent most of my adult life uh, in the Navy. I spent 23 years in different aspects of aviation. I spent six years in San Diego, one year in Japan, 17 years in Virginia Beach. And I was an airplane mechanic, but I wasn't a very good airplane mechanic. <laughs> what do you mean by that? Why were you? What do you? Why? Why do you say you weren't a good airplane mechanic? Because it takes two things. It takes mechanical aptitude, which I had, but it also takes a sense of troubleshooting, which I didn't really like, or it wasn't something that I was really good at. So to be a really special mechanic, you have to know both. And I was really good at people, and so I was good at working with my hands, but I was also good at leading people. So that's where I kind of made my money was in the leadership aspect of the Navy. And, um, you know, I was doing non-destructive testing, which is, I'm not even going to get into, it's just a really boring job for airplanes. And at one point I just didn't know what I wanted to do because I knew that I didn't want to leave the Navy and go into aviation. It just wasn't what I was interested in. It wasn't something that I loved. And every once in a while, something happens in your life that changes the way your life goes. Mm -hmm. Those moments of opportunity when, when they come, you really have to take control of them, really take take them for what they are and use them for what they are. So every three years or so, you would call up or I would call up what's called a detailer. And that person is the person who's in charge of sending you to your next assignment. Okay. And every time I called, it used to be a person who I didn't really know. And so they were more interested in what I could do for the Navy. And what was interesting for them was that I just go do my job in aviation. Sure. And then one time I called up for my next set of orders and it was my friend, Bill. And I said, Bill, are you really the detailer? He goes, <laughs> yeah, that's my job now. And I said, well, can you get me out of here? Do something different? I'm just so bored of, of what I'm doing. He goes, absolutely. Where do you want to go? What do you want to do? And I've always had this penchant for teaching, for, for developing people, for helping people. And I said, well, I want to go teach. Do you have any uh, openings anywhere? He goes, well, I do have some openings at the Center for Naval Leadership if you want to go teach leadership to, to Navy sailors. I said, well, yeah, let me, I'll, I'll try it. I think it'll, I'll think I'll be good at it. And I went and I interviewed because that particular job, they, they need to interview you. They want to see who's actually teaching leadership. Sure. At being standards and be a really poster person, poster boy for, for or poster girl for the particular job. And I got hired and I went through a six-week facilitation course where I learned how to deliver the training, get up in front of the classroom. I was always really good at it, but this really polished me into a better speaker. And uh, when I got into the classroom for the first time, I just fell in love with it. I was watching these individuals as we were going through some of these basic leadership concepts and their eyes just lit up and they were like, oh my gosh, I can't believe that, you know, that's how easy it is and how you talk to people and different uh, philosophies of leadership, servant leadership, situational leadership, all these different things that we were teaching them. And it just became something that I said, I got to do this for the rest of my life. But remember, I was an airplane mechanic. So how do I go from airplane <laughs> mechanic to having somebody in the, in the civilian world hire me for something like this? Right. And uh, I ran down to the Navy College office. I was 35 years old with an associate's degree in BS. Pretty much it was like nothing. <laughs> uh, I'd gotten it because I did some aviation courses. Okay. And I went to the Navy College office and I said, hey, I really love this work, learning and development. How do I do this 
what degree do I need to have in order to be able to do this when I retire or get out? Sure. And they looked at me and they said, we don't know. <laughs> We've never had anybody come and say they want to do that. HR degree, I guess. I mean, if that's, that's what it looks like. And so I said, okay, great. I'll do that. And in the three years that I was stationed at the Center for Naval Leadership, I pieced together my degree through courses at the community college, through online courses, through CLEP courses where you take a test and get credit for your knowledge. And within those three years, I got my degree in HR That's from great. Excelsior College. And uh, I wasn't ready to leave the Navy quite yet. And so I took a job on a large ship of about 1,100 people called the USS Baton. It was an amphibious ship. And when I got there, I got put back as an aviation maintenance person. I was a leader now in a more senior capacity, but I still didn't want to do that for the rest of my life. The mm -hmm. uh, cool thing was that the ship was so big, it actually had a training department. And what I ended up doing was having talking to my department head and saying, hey, making a deal with him and saying, hey, there are these inspections that are coming up in order to be able to deploy. If I get you through these inspections with high marks, would you talk to the captain and have him put me in the training office? He said, deal. And so we got to the inspection, we got really high marks. And next thing you know, I'm the training manager for this huge vessel. And in that position, I learned so much about leadership training, on-site, compliance training, manpower management. The Navy has this huge learning management system called NTEMPS. I'm not even going to attempt to, to <laughs> tell you what it is, but it's this huge manpower planning tool. Uh, I had seven direct reports that worked in the office. And then each department on the ship had their own trainer. So I, they were matrix to me in that capacity. I did the budgeting for the traveling. So when we were out to sea, I'd have to send people back to the United States to go training and come back to the ship. So I had to do all the logistics. It was just a, a wonderful three-year experience on everything to do with training and development. Mm -hmm. When it was finally time for me to leave the service, nobody wanted to hire me in HR because, again, I had all the, all the years of experience in aviation. And uh, I really had to find somebody who would work with me, such as a, uh, I worked with a headhunter called Bradley Morris. And they, what they do is they, they place individuals leaving the service into civilian jobs. And uh, to add to that mix was that my wife, we were living on the West Coast, on the East Coast, I'm sorry, Virginia Beach. My wife, uh, who is in the entertainment industry, wanted to come to the West Coast. So now I had to find a job on the West Coast because that's where uh, she wanted to continue her career. So Bradley Morris took me on and I flew out to the West Coast twice to go through what they call hiring conferences. You come in on a Sunday and they tell you all the different companies that are going to be in this hotel the next day. And they give you a list of companies where your resume really suits their job. And then the next day you come in your suit and tie and you go from hotel room to hotel room to hotel room and meet with the hiring managers for these different jobs. There was one particular time I, I came to a hiring conference and there was this company called Haploos and they were a consulting firm and they were doing change management and they were doing leadership development for a uh, company up in Canada. I interviewed with them and I got hired. Eventually I got hired. Another long story about how I got hired, but I eventually got hired mm -hmm. and we moved cross country and I was next to an airport and the client was in Canada. So I flew to Canada every week. Oh, wow. Yeah, it was uh, the Sunday evening flight on Alaska Airlines and then the Thursday evening flight back to uh, back to L.A. But when I got up there, 
this is my first job out of the service. I had no idea what I was doing, especially in the consulting world. If anybody's ever been a consultant, then it was just like, go figure it out. <laughs> and so my first week on the job, I met my, my boss who happened to be probably 20 years younger than me. And uh, I said, what are we supposed to be doing? <laughs> but really? And he goes, well, I'll tell you what we're going to be doing in this four-hour drive from the airport to the site out in uh, Saskatchewan. And so he did. And so he told me, well, what we do is we go into these, uh, well, our client has this change that they're trying to implement. And so we have experts coming in and they do the change piece. And then we come in behind them and teach all the leaders how to coach. I said, okay. And we help them teach, we help teach these senior leaders how to talk to their people so that when people are resistant to the change, the leadership doesn't just start yelling at them like most mm -hmm. typical oil and gas leaders do. What they do is they we teach them how to coach so they can talk to their individuals and create this climate of commitment versus a compliance culture. Sure. I was like, and how much do you pay me for this? <laughs> and pretty, what? I said, I should have gone out of the Navy years ago. <laughs> consulting is, is a pretty, if anybody's ever been in consulting again, it's a pretty lucrative line of work. So, but they work you to death and it's and you're always on the road and you're always moving and going right. so i always tell people that especially early career people that if they want to sow their oats they go into consulting or go to a consulting firm where their two years or three years in the consulting firm is worth five ten years in a regular corporate job that's really an important thing to note, to note about that yeah and you know what i love about your story um you and i obviously have talked about this several times and Hearing your story every time makes me realize just, first of all, just how you really advocated for yourself. You know, when when you were in the Navy and you were, you know, a mechanic and you're like, yeah, I can do this job okay, right? But then you found something that sparked this interest in you and it sparked something inside of you that you knew you had to do. And some people just, they get that spark, but they sit on it or they don't know what to do with it. And you took so much action around that. You know, you were like, you were talking to people and you're going to your resource center saying, what degree do I need? How do I pursue this? What do I need to do? And that's one thing that I'm always trying to get across to my listeners is around taking action. And, you know, when you find something that lights a spark in you, don't let it burn out, you know, take action against it. And that's exactly what you did. You accumulated and you did it very ingeniously, you know, you, you were very resourceful about how you gathered your resources and you got, you know, your education from all these different opportunities and different schools to basically create your own curriculum to get what you needed to make that happen for yourself. And again, just hearing the story again, just makes me realize that how many people don't do that. And then, you know, here you are, you know, doing this, getting this experience and you get out of the Navy, you know, you get out of the Navy and you don't have civilian experience in the workforce, but you still said yes. You know, hey, you have this wife who wants to come to the West Coast. What do I need to do to make this happen? And you did it once again. And you signed up for something that you didn't know what you were doing. You didn't have, you know, probably, I mean, some people don't even feel comfortable if they feel 90% in control. And you probably maybe what felt 50% that you knew what you were doing. You know, I'll have to tell you right off the bat that I wouldn't be anywhere near where I'm at today without my wife's support. Mm -hmm. 
You know, we've uh, we've been together over 17 years, and it's always been about how do we get the best out of each other, and how can we support each other in anything that we want to do. I can go on for hours about my wife and what she's done with her life, especially since we've been together, all the certification that she's gotten, all the successes she's had in the entertainment world. She's a private investigator. She's going to EMT courses. She travels by herself when she when she has to. I mean, she's, she's just this very special person. And whenever we have discussions, I acknowledge the fact that, you know, she pushed me to get my degree. She pushed me to get my master's. She pushed me because in all reality, at the end of the day, entrepreneurship is not in me innately. Right. So if I don't have somebody kind of pushing me, I'll get it done, but it doesn't come naturally. Right. So what I always tell people, especially when we're having career discussions, when we're having uh, career conversations, my biggest point that I always want to get across people is nobody cares more about your career than you. Right. Just say that again, because I think that is so important. I really, really want people to hear that because I, I think especially so many women are they stay loyal to a company or to a job or to a boss sometimes for far too long. Absolutely. Absolutely. Nobody cares more about your career than you. When you're sitting around waiting for things to happen, waiting for that next opportunity, waiting for your boss to tap you on the shoulder and say, hey, you're just getting promoted, you're wasting time. Mm-hmm. People who want to change careers or want to get better at something, especially people who want to change careers, they come to me and say, hey, I want to do X. I said, all right, what are you doing now to get to X? Mm-hmm. Well, I don't know. I'm supposed to be doing anything. Well, if you want to be, for example, I, I'll use myself. I wanted to do this line of work. So what did I do? I made sure that everything that I was doing would benefit me moving forward taking on the job as training manager, taking on, learning all that stuff in that training world on the baton, right? Being that training manager, learning all that stuff, making sure that when I went to Haplus that I was learning everything I possibly could and getting into meetings where maybe I shouldn't have been in, just learning how the sausage is being made so that I can make the sausage later. Um, making sure that whatever they offered training, I took the training and I did all that so that Eventually, you know, my resume went from a Navy guy who wants to do training Mm -hmm. to a learning and development professional who just happened to be in the Navy. Exactly. But you have to do that as you're as you're as you're looking for that next step. So I always tell people, if you want something, especially in the corporate world or to move up, you have to make things happen. You have to get involved. You have to make sure that you are that when discussions are happening about you. You know, from your boss, your boss's boss, and so on and so forth, those discussions are positive and that you're making an impact. When I do performance management training with leaders and, they, and they're trying to figure out how to rate their individuals, I ask them and I say, how much impact has that individual had outside of their area of responsibility? So if they're a great team member, but that's all they do, great. Doing your job is not enough. Now, if I ask them, have you heard their name mentioned at department head meetings or from your boss's boss? Now, when you hear somebody's name being mentioned above you, Mm -hmm. then you know that person's having impact outside 
of their area of responsibility. And that's what gets people promoted. That's what gets people moving up in the ladder. That's what gets people noticed. But you have to take the initiative to do that. No, I, I really do agree with you. And it's that organizational agility. And I think specifically, I mean, I know we have a lot of female, I know we have both listeners, but we have a lot of female listeners. And I know one of the things that women in particular struggle with is again, making their work visible. So I think so many women, myself included for a long time, you know, just felt like if I put my head down, did my job, you know, I always volunteered for extra projects and I was always, you know, some kind of team lead, but I didn't always brag about it. You know, and I think a lot of women feel really uncomfortable bragging about the things that they're doing. And when I say bragging about it, you know, I think that's what uh, we get the impression that that's what is a turn off about it. It's the term term of it. Right. But it's around, you know, how do you showcase your work to leaders? How do you showcase your work to people outside of your department? How do you make it known about, like you said, the impact that you're making? And so do you have any advice for people on how to do that? Absolutely. First of all, it's funny you say we say bragging because in the military, when you are writing your evaluations, and yes, we all get evaluated once a year the same way as most people in the corporate world. We have to fill out a brag sheet. Really? Yeah. It's called a brag it's sheet? It's called a brag sheet. I didn't know that. What did you do this year? What did you... You know, how well have you done this year? What are some of the accolades that you've, uh, awards have you gotten? And then you turn that in. And it's it's funny because in the service, you're not supposed to write your own evaluation, but you do because you don't want your, bo- your boss. You know, again, you know yourself more better than your boss does. So when I got to a certain level, I was writing my own evaluation and handed it to my boss and saying, here, this is everything I've done. I've already written it for you. All you have to do is either tweak it and move on. But that's taking the initiative. Right. Instead of saying, well, I'll just wait and see what my boss gives me mm-hmm. because your boss, I'll tell you right now, your boss has no idea what you're doing. 90% of the time mm-hmm. you wish they did no, it's and, so you, true. and you wish they had that. I always told bosses, make sure that if you really want to do well by your people, that you keep a spreadsheet of what they're doing and annotate it in your one-on-ones, which is, I guess, the biggest advice I can give you or anybody listening is that when you have a one-on-one with your boss, you have to set the agenda. If you're going in on your one-on-one and just talking about the work and the projects that you're on, you're missing a huge opportunity to tell your boss what you want. Amen, brother. It's so true. Absolutely. You need to set the agenda. If you have an hour, half an hour with your boss, you need to set aside at least 10, 15 minutes to talk about you, what's going on with you, what you're doing, where you need help from them, and where you don't need help from them, what your, how your project is going from a perspective of you and what, you, uh, what the value that you're bringing to the project. Another thing that always drives me nuts is when people say, well, I want to be a manager. I want to be a leader of people. I, the first thing I ask them is, does your boss know that? <laughs> no, and it's so, it's so true, right? And I am so glad we're talking about reviews because, you know, in my opinion, you know, uh, what you did last year, you know, that's a lagging indicator, right? Absolutely. Those are all lagging indicators. And I think we spend, you know, probably for most of us, we spend 80 to 90% of our reviews talking about the lagging indicators, what we did. But I'd say, you know, and then that 10% of the conversation is about what you want to do. And typically, uh, I think, again, for most people, they're not driving that conversation. They're more passive in that conversation. And, you know, I really say that, you know, 50, it should be a 50-50 split. 
you should be, you know, 50% of it should be lagging indicator and then 50% of it should be leading indicator of letting your boss know where you want to go, what you want to do, what you want to accomplish and what your aspirations are working in the corporation. Because I'll tell you what, your boss has so many things going on. The last thing they need to worry about is you. And it's counterintuitive because his or her team is really what they should be focused on. But the reality is that out of you know all the leaders in the world, probably 20% are really, really good. Mm-hmm. They do that, right? They, they take care of their people because they know that their people are going to take care of them. 20% are at the bottom. They're like, eh, you could probably do without them. There's a little door. Go away. But 60% are in that middle piece. They're like, you know, they're just trying to get their work done. And, oh, my God, I got this team now that are, that are needy and want things from me. So if you want to get ahead, don't come across as the needy employee. What do I do now? What do you want me to do? Where do you want me to go? How do I do this? How do I do that? You walk into a one-on-one saying, hey, this is what I've done. This is where I'm going. This is what I want to do. And here's how you can help me. Mm-hmm. Do you have any more ideas, boss? Mm-hmm. Right? Because now you're offering a solution to your boss and all they have to say is, yeah, yeah, you want to go get certified? Great. Let's see if we got some budget. Perfect. You know, go and get certified in XYZ. Right? Oh, you want to be a part of a project? You know, the project just popped up that we've been talking about up here. I think you'd be great for it. But if you don't let them know, they're just happy you're working. They're happy you're doing your job. Exactly. And they don't want to bother with it because it's the status quo. So use your one-on-ones for that purpose. And I'll give you an example of a one-on-one that turned my life around. I was in the Navy. I was doing a job. I think we talked at the beginning that I really didn't like. But I was good at it. I was okay at it. And I really wanted to get promoted to that next level. And I spent a year on the ship, on one of my ships, and I got pretty decent evaluation. And the following year, I was hoping to get the next level evaluation up, next mark up, so that I could be in line for promotion. Mm-hmm. And I went into my boss's office to sign my, my performance review. And he said, I was going to give you a lower mark, but you didn't screw up. So we just kept it as is. <laughs> And I was furious. I was like, what am I doing? What is going on? How can I sit in your chair one of these days? I'm tired of of thinking I'm doing things correctly. And he turned around and looked at me and he said, who are you? Mm. And I said, what are you talking about? He says, and in the Navy, you do what's called forced rankings, right? So everybody has to have a number based on their performance, which is not legal in the the civilian world, but in the Navy, that's what they do. He goes, every time I go to these boards to rank all your peers... I bring your name up and nobody knows who you are. I said, but I do my job. I come to work on time. My programs are on point. I never bother you for anything. Right? Nobody ever complains about me. <laughs> and he goes, yeah, that's the bare minimum, doing your job. Mm-hmm. But if you want to get ahead, you got to make sure that everybody knows what you're doing. So that when I bring your name up in these boards, people are like, oh, Brevis, I yeah, okay. Yeah. He helped me with XYZ and he helped my people with XYZ. And oh yeah, you know, he's been really involved in, in this and he's been really involved in that. That's what's gonna get you to the next level. Mm-hmm. And it blew my mind because nobody had ever taken the time to sit me down and really explain what it took to move to the next level. And doing your job is just the bare minimum. Yeah, and it sounds like that was really important feedback for you. So what did you do with it? What, what did you do from there? Well, from there, it lit a fire into my ass. It really did. And I asked him, because it was a him at the time, I said, what do you suggest? 
And he gave me five or six things that I could get involved in, that I could start doing, that I could start taking charge of. And within three years, and it usually typically takes about five years Mm -hmm. of a career progression to get promoted, within three years, I got promoted to that next rank. That's amazing. It wouldn't happen if I hadn't had that one-on-one and really pushed what I wanted and to have him really be specific about the things that I needed to change and do. Yeah. Well, and and I think the key there too is not only did you ask for the feedback, not only were you advocating for yourself, but you were open to the feedback and you took the feedback and you did something with it. Absolutely. And some people get feedback they don't like. <laughs> and that happens in, in, when we do coaching as well, right? When people, when I sit down with people and have coaching conversations and, um, they said, yeah, well, people are telling me X, Y, Z, but I don't think that's the truth. <laughs> okay. And then again, that sparks right. a discussion. <laughs> and I asked them, well, what did you say when somebody said that? Well, I told them that that, that, that couldn't be. Mm-hmm. And then my next question is, how open are those people going to be to give you more feedback? Right. And they look at me and they're like, they don't, like I, I'm some, I have like a, <laughs> something on my face. Right. And like the problem is when people give you feedback that you don't agree with, the appropriate response is, thank you. Right. Or can you give me an example when that happened? Yeah. No, I, I agree. I mean, you know, sometimes we don't always like what we hear, but the important piece of that is it's someone's perception. And whether we feel that that perception is right or wrong, it's still someone's perception. So I, I think you bring up a, a great point. So fast forward, you get out of the military, you have this project at Haplus, and then Kind of give us the uh, the lay of the land from there. So, yeah. So, you know, <laughs> traveling to Canada, as fun as it seems, it's not that <laughs> fun when you do it every week. Sure. Alaska Airlines has a pretty good um, <laughs> plan, though, because after about two months, I was flying first class. So it was pretty, it was pretty cool. <laughs> but, yeah, I, I didn't want to spend the rest of my life. And all the consultants that were working there were consultants that had been around for 35 years. And they were, you know, they've been in the consulting world forever. And they, they kept telling me, Juan. Don't do this job for more than five years or you'll never leave the consulting world. It's just, it is what it is. I didn't want to travel for that much. So I kept looking for work uh, in Southern California. And it's interesting because of the military bias that people have. Because What do you mean by that? Because veterans, there's a perception that veterans, and this is portrayed by, a lot by the media, that all veterans have issues, mm. PTSD, they're not good. You know, they have a lot of great qualities, but they don't necessarily want to fit, you know, they don't necessarily fit into the corporate structure. And whenever I would have an interview, I would get asked that question. So how, you know, what kind of people have you interacted with? And I would say, you know, well, I've dealt with captains and admirals, which are your equivalent of, you know, operations officers and CEOs sure. and, and CFOs and stuff like that. And they would tell me, well, you just don't really have that enough corporate experience for us. Thank you very much. And mm. So I dealt with that a lot. Finally, I was able to show my skills to a couple of people at Southern California Edison. So I worked there for two years in their leadership development and organizational development department, helping them teach leadership skills for uh, all levels of leaders at Edison. It's interesting because I started working there and went straight into the classroom to learn the curriculum. And it was basically the same curriculum I was teaching in the Navy. Oh, that's so funny. I mean, it was not word for word per se, right. but the same concepts. And so I could use all the things that I was that I had done in the classroom when I was in the Navy in the classroom at Edison. And so within three weeks, I was pretty much teaching all the stuff by myself. I spent two years there, and they started talking about reorganization. 
And I just started looking around for, for other work because I didn't want to be caught as a, as a low man on the totem pole. And uh, I was able to secure work with NBC Universal. And my favorite boss of all time, a lady named Lorian. Oh, my gosh. I just love the way she led. Why? Because she just understood that as a boss, you have to know your people. And you have to know the certain level of awareness of your people. What I mean by that is if you have an employee that is a little less self-aware, you have to be more directive when you have a conversation with them. Maybe tell them a little bit more what to do and how to do it. But if you have an individual who is pretty self-aware about themselves and what's going on, you know, which I feel like I was that sort of employee, mm-hmm. I would walk into our one-on-ones and she would ask me three questions. What would she ask you? What went well this week? What didn't go so well? And what would you change? I love that. That's it. That's it. And out of that entire conversation, I did all the talking. Mm-hmm. And I walked out of it with a sense of, okay, my boss gets me. She understands what I want, what I need. And she understands that even if I screwed up this week, that it's not like I liked it. I, I, I was kicking myself in the butt for it. And mm-hmm. so why would she have to pile on if I screwed up? Um, so she let me figure that out on my own because I had a level of self-awareness that she was comfortable with. Sure. And she understood that. With other individuals, she may have had to be a little bit more directive as to what they needed to do, how they needed to do it. But for me, she wasn't. And she's my mentor to this day. I, I pick up the phone and I call her and say, hey, I got this issue. Can I? Can you help? And <laughs> she, again, she will just coach me through it and ask me questions. And and typically, I walk out of there with, with an answer that I came up with. The sign of a good coach and a good leader. Absolutely. Absolutely. I, I think she she's one of the best leaders I've ever had. That's great. That's great. And then, so career-wise, where did you go from Edison? From Edison, I went to NBC Universal. Oh, that's right. You mentioned that. And then uh, at NBC Universal, I uh, was working at an enterprise-wide level. So doing all the training and development for, uh, for the entire company. So we would bring people to us for leadership development, high potential development, skill building, those sorts of things. And it got to a point where it was just a lot of program management. And I was looking to upskill myself to a different part or different uh, skill set in our world, which is more client-facing work. And so I started looking and I networked my way into, into a position at Fox where I became the director of organizational development and learning and uh, had a more client-facing role. So now what I was doing is I was taking my skill sets and working with the different business units, working with the uh, HR business partners, and working together to create solutions for the particular business units, such as I had three clients. Uh, one of them was Fox Next Games with the gaming section for Fox, hmm. FX, and also Fox Sports. And so working with their HR leaders and their the presidents of each one of those business units, we created solutions for them. So that was a skill set that I know I needed in order to get to where I wanted to go next, which is hopefully be a VP somewhere or chief learning officer somewhere being able to have those client-facing, that, that client-facing experience where you are working with those senior leaders, helping them create solutions for their people. Yeah. Well, and fast forward, that's about the time that you and I met. Is yeah. You were working for Fox, and actually we were in a certification together, uh, Corn Ferry certification. And interestingly enough, I, I love what you were saying about, you know, sometimes people only see the end result of what you've done. And you know, my story is similar. I don't want to make this about me right now because I'm interviewing you. But, you know, my story is similar. You know, people see on social media or people see on LinkedIn like, oh, Natalie left her 
corporate job to, you know, go start her own company. And then all of a sudden my company's launched and I have a website and everything, you know, is all buttoned up. But, you know, the the interesting thing is a lot of people aren't aware of, you know, that process started literally three years ago. Of course. But see, people don't see that part of it. You know, I started, you know, getting all of the certifications. I started building my skill set. I started volunteering at my company for jobs that helped me up-level my training and facilitation skills. I built an internal leadership coaching program at my company. And, you know, all of that was a plan, a very purposeful plan that I had to not only up-level my skills, but to start building my coaching resume and my consulting resume so when I did jump out into my entrepreneurship, that I was ready and I and I was set. And that's where you and I met. We met at a certification training. And, you know, one of the things that I, I loved about you is that you have this innate desire and curiosity to, to continue to up-level yourself and to always keep learning. And it was one of the th- ways that you and I connected is we started having conversations about, hey, what? how can we work together? How can we what can we do together? And, you know, what I also think is important is to understand what skill set you have and what strengths you have and what strengths you don't have at the time. I didn't have, you know, the skills that you have around putting together training and curriculum and workshops and, and you, you're a master at that. And that's why you're on the team. And you're my chief learning officer for my corporate division of my company. And, you know, I, wanted you to be a part of the team. And I'm so happy you're part of the team because, you know, that's really what you do so well. And that's what your whole background and experience has been in. And it's because you've created that for yourself. So, you know, bringing it back to the beginning, right? What's this branding all about? And to me, it's creating the persona you want to be. I didn't want to be an airplane mechanic, (laughs) Right? But we live in an age of instant gratification where things need to happen now or need to happen soon because we don't like to wait or we don't like to put in the hard work. And again, it's the graft. How do you get to where you want to go while still doing what you're doing? Mm-hmm. And you know, for you, again, is all the background work that people don't see. For me, it's all the, the jobs I've had, all the projects I've done, all those uh, interactions with clients that I've had that have brought me to this particular place. You know, for my wife, the actor, the thousands of auditions that she goes on and, mm-hmm. and gets one, right? And and all that, uh, the practice, practice, practice that builds that, builds that, uh, that professionalism. So that's what branding is all about is figure out what it is that you want to do and then slowly but surely start building that person, start building that persona, start building that future for yourself. Take control of it. Take control of what you want to do and start doing it. People say to me all the time, I wish I did this or I wish I did that. I mean, you can wish all day long, right? <laughs> and, and the bottom line is you could probably get there if you just start small, a little bit at a time, right? How do you eat an elephant? <laughs> One bite at a One time. One bite at a time. And sometimes, <laughs> you know, where you want to go seems like it's a different planet, seems like it's a different world. No, I I, re- I really agree. You know, I follow, I don't know if you know who Rachel Hollis is, but I follow her and I'm a big fan of Rachel Hollis's. And it's so interesting because, you know, she just came on the scene a few years ago. So we know. And, you know, the, the funny thing is she she came out with two books. Girl, Wash Your Face was her first book. And she talks in there about how, you know, everyone's like, oh, my gosh, Rachel, you have instant success. And look at this. And she's like, you guys didn't see 
the other six books of mine that never made it yeah. that I wrote and that completely failed. Yeah. And, you know, we see people in this end result. And, and like you said, you know, there's this, uh, you know, world of instant gratification where we think that just these things happen easily. But I love what you said around, you know what? She would have never gotten to that bestseller if she didn't try and she didn't take action with the other six books that were a failure. Yeah, it's a, it's a process. It is right? a process. And I, my wife and I always laugh when, we, when we're watching TV and we see this new actor, right? Where did this person come from? This person must have come from nowhere. You look at their IMDb and they've been working for 10, 15 years mm -hmm. just doing bit parts here and bit parts there until they got their break. But nobody, nobody, I mean, well, I can't say nobody, but the percentage of people who make it overnight in any sort of profession is minutes it's worth it's worse than winning the lottery really it is because it just doesn't happen and the success happens from the work it happens from the graft it happens from the networking it happens from the people you know because it all comes to a head at a certain point but you won't come to that head unless you do the work no i i completely agree so first of all i just want to thank you for being here today and what what would you say is you know maybe the one or two tips i mean we've talked a lot about a lot today what do you feel like are the one or two tips that you could give people to walk away with to maybe start thinking about or doing um, as we close our show today? Great question. Number one, do something. Again, you can sit there and wish the way, where you want to be and wish about where other people are, but you can get there too. You just need to start moving towards that goal. Even if it's just a small step here or there. If you want your degree, the hardest thing, like for people who want to go to school, right? The hardest thing to do is get started. Once you get started, you'll find out it's a lot easier to make that dream happen. So do something. Second, nothing happens overnight. Nothing happens overnight. So you have to make sure, you know, to give yourself time and give yourself, you know, you're going to fail and you're going to have some wins. And, you know, I've talked to you know many, many corporate CEOs and senior people, when we talk about their, their meteoric rise, there's no such thing. Mm -hmm. I, I talked to them and said, no, it was up and down and up and down and a couple of years here where nothing really happened and then I got promoted and then I got demoted and then <laughs> I got promoted again. So nothing, people, again, you're right, people see the end result, but they don't see the what it took to get to where people are. Right. And third is don't forget that nobody cares about your career more than you. Yeah. Don't wait around for things to happen. Make sure that you are making them happen. And there's not, you know, there's no guarantee that anything will happen. Agreed. Right? There's never any guarantee. We're not telling you that these are secret sauces. And if you do all these things that you're going to be, you know, this great, famous, you know, CEO or, or person. But you're never going to get there by sitting on the couch. I agree. And I'm, I'm big on people not living with regrets. So put yourself in a position where you can take advantage of the opportunities when they come. I completely agree. Well, Juan, I'm super happy you were here today and I am very thankful that you're on my team because you bring so much knowledge and experience to the team. And I also want to thank you for your service. Appreciate that. I thank appreciate you so much. It. it was fun. Thanks, Juan. Take care. Bye-bye. Thank you so much for being here today and listening to the Lead Your Life podcast. My invitation to you is that you do one thing today to move toward a more meaningful, fulfilling life for yourself. Today, you have the opportunity to challenge your mindset, 
or have a meaningful conversation or take one action step towards your goals. So what are you waiting for? It would mean the world to me if you would subscribe and leave a review wherever you are listening to this podcast. I look forward to connecting with you next week. Until then, don't wait till tomorrow. Be your best self now. Thank you.